Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. I'm your host, Dr. Jessica Hockman. On this week's episode, I talked to anxiety expert Lynn Lyons. I really enjoyed my conversation with Lynn, and I know you are going to love her too. I find talking to Lynn to be a breath of fresh air. She's practical, funny, and she offers so many tips to help with anxiety. I made this episode into two parts, so if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to stay tuned for next week. Welcome to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. I am so excited because this week we have on a very special guest, anxiety specialist, speaker, author, mother, uh, Lynn Lyons. How, how are you, Lynn? I'm fine, Jessica. Thanks for having me. I'm, I couldn't be more thrilled to have you on as a guest. I, um, I love your podcast, uh, Fluster, Flusterclux. 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 Yeah. Um, how did, how did uh, you name your podcast, first of all? Well, it actually started off, we came, we had a name, we were calling it at the very beginning, we started the podcast right at the beginning of the pandemic, and we were calling it A Mom's Retreat, which has a long story behind it, but it's boring. And so then we were like, all right, well, that name is not good. So we just thought and thought, and and Robin, who I do the podcast with, who's my sister-in-law, she's married to my brother, we're thinking, we're thinking, and then we were like trying to come up with a name, and I just, it just came, I just said, Fluster Clocks. And then we're like, that's it. So literally, it just like came to me. And then that was the name. Yeah. It's got a nice catchy sound. I I like it a lot. Yeah. It's memorable. And tell us about the podcast. Tell us about uh, the theme of it and what, you know, what you're directing it towards. Yeah. So the the sort of the tagline is is for parents who worry, sort of with the implication that we all worry. So it's for everybody. I'm an anxiety specialist. um, So I talk a lot about specific anxiety stuff. You know, people send in questions they want to know about what do they do at bedtime when their child is too nervous to get to sleep or how do we get them to school or what about kids that are afraid of thunderstorms? And then really just in general talking about the absolute necessity for parents to manage their own worry, to convey skills, to teach skills of emotional management. I am, as a therapist, I am really really, really focused on developing skills. What are the things that we need to teach kids and how do we model them? So a lot of the podcast has to do with what's the connection between family anxiety and how does this thing grab hold and what do we do and how do you respond in the moment? So that's basically it. We've we've talked about probably everything you can think of we've talked about. And I what I really like about your podcast is you say that you take things, you know, serious topics, but in a not so serious way. (laughs) Right, right, right. And that really resonates with me. Oh, good. I'm glad. Well, humor is, humor is so essential. It's such a a great way to connect. And anxiety loves to be taken seriously, right? Anxiety just wants to turn everything into an emergency. And I say to families all the time, I'm not playing. I'm not playing. (laughs) Your your anxiety wants to turn this into a major, I was just talking to a, a mom today about her son's college process, which is just starting. And I, oh I said, goodness. I want you to, I want you to take out a piece of paper. I want you to write this down. This is not an emergency. She's like, okay, I'm writing it down. But that's, that's what anxiety does. It just wants to, to, you know, juice everything up. And I, I'm not playing. Yeah. Now, is it, is it just me or does it feel like in the past couple of years, it seems like every kid has anxiety? Is it, is it more than you've experienced in the past or... Do you feel like it's always been there? Well, I mean, it it wasn't like this 10 years ago, but it was like this four years ago. So one of the things that's interesting is, and 
all sorts of data is coming out. I pay a lot of attention to the language that people use to describe things. And what's been interesting to me, and I've been saying this throughout the pandemic, is that anxiety didn't just show up in 2020, didn't show just show up in 2021. Um, but, but the language is sort of like, what is this crazy thing called anxiety? And if you look at the numbers, there are some, some studies that are just coming out now that are saying, interestingly, 2016 to 2020, a real nice, consistent uptick in anxiety. 2020, not such an uptick. Um, now, maybe we'll see in 2021, it will uptick again. But this, this anxiety thing is not a result of the pandemic. And we know actually a lot of things actually went down during the pandemic, including, which you as a, a pediatrician, you know, asthma, like plummeted, plummeted. asthma. Yeah. Suicide even. Yeah. Suicide went down. Anxiety kind of stayed the same, but the way that we're, you know, the way people are talking about it, it's sort of like everybody was fine. And then the pandemic hit and anxiety went crazy. And that's just not what has happened. Is there more? Yes. Did the pandemic cause it? Nope. Did the pandemic make it tons worse? Not really. Interesting. Interesting. I I sort of feel like those that always tended to be more anxious, this gave mm-hmm. more reason to continue along the path of anxiety. Right, because anxiety just loves some good content to grab onto. So when there's something going on, like imagine anxiety is just hanging out saying like, all right, what, what do we got? What do we got? And here comes a pandemic. If you're a little bit germ phobic, if you're a little bit worried about your health, if you're, or a lot worried about your health, if you're worried about fill in the blank, the pandemic, it was like a, it was like an anxiety jambalaya. You could just grab onto all these different things. And so cracks became chasms for sure. Right. Right. And I, I think what's so hard is there's always something to worry about. There's always a new story on the news. There's always a new concern. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's so hard to have those skills to learn how to manage all these mm-hmm. new stories that pop up. Well, and that's the, that's the issue is that if you're always trying to manage the new story, then you're going to have difficulty because there's always a new story. And if you treat the new story as if it's a brand new problem now that we have to deal with, you miss the bigger picture, which is that anxiety is all about trying to get certainty. It's all about trying to make sure you know exactly what's going to happen. So what's interesting when we, when we look at kids sort of developmentally as they're moving through anxiety, that the anxiety will grab onto the things that are most developmentally uncertain. So we know that separation anxiety in little kids shows up because that's when you're learning how to move away from mommy and daddy. Um, if I've got kids that are worriers, I can, I can really predict that as they go through school and hit middle school and hit high school, as they learn about the big kind of scary things in life, their anxiety is going to be like, oh, just sort of like, you know, licking its chops, so to speak. You know, right. kids learn about sex. They freak out about that. They learn about drugs. They freak out about that. They learn about suicide. They freak out about that. Because it's this new content that has all this uncertainty and it just happens. Yeah. I think what's so hard as a parent, you know, myself, I I feel like when I was growing up, I don't remember kids being that anxious. I remember it, you know, creeping into my life and my friends' lives more, I would say the teenage years, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. like college applications and getting into Mm -hmm. college and grades. 
But I, I feel like now it's so pervasive, even amongst the elementary school years. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a family systems person. And yes. I look a lot at how it's passed down generation, generationally in families. And so I'm really paying attention to how parents are dealing with uncertainty. So what are the messages that we're giving kids about the way the world works? And if we were growing up and the message was like, go out and play, right? But now if you're growing up, if the message is, if you leave the house, make sure you have your phone and I'm going to turn on the Life 360 so that I can know exactly where you are. Right. And if you change locations, you have to text me. There's all what I call safety chatter. There's right. so much talk about how dangerous the world is. Yes. You know, my, 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 I, I grew up on a, a cul-de-sac when, um, until I was in third grade. There were 32 other little kids on the cul-de-sac. And my mom, my mom says, like the older girls who were like seven right. would come to the door and knock on the door and say, can we take Linny out? I was two. And my mom would be like, sure. <laughs> you know, and now it's sort of like, well, we have to make sure that you've taken an American Red Cross babysitting course, right? I right. mean, it's just, it's just so different in the way that we convey risk to kids. I mean, right. I think that that's what, it, what comes across so clearly is the difference in, 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 in that that we as adults convey risk? I completely yeah. agree. I, I talk about this with my husband that when we were both kids growing up, we played outside all the time. We played with mm -hmm. our neighbors. You know, we'd sort of come in to the house. There was a tacit agreement that when it was dark outside, we would be mm -hmm. back. Um, mm -hmm. But now I feel like I don't think it's just the community I live in in Southern California, but I think it's happening all over where yeah. kids are not going outside as much. And I don't know if it's because they're on video games more or parents are more nervous or just culturally it's different. Um, I think probably a, a combination of all of those things. Yes. Um, I think that technology has done a few things. One is that it's provided in-home entertainment. So you don't have to go outside and use your imagination to be entertained. You can be entertained on a couch for hours and hours and hours. Um, I think that technology also has given adults and now kids this, the, the reality is that you can know everything all the time. So you can know where your kids are all the time. You can know the answers to every question. You can track and see where your parents are if you're a kid. And it's just this idea over and over and over again that I am capable of knowing everything. So then when I don't know something, oh my gosh, that's an emergency. Mm. Yeah. It's very yeah. true. Yeah. We have to sort of learn to be okay with not knowing everything all the time. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, even think about when, you know, if you think about the way that you were raised, or I think about the way that I was raised, I was raised by very attentive, attentive, loving parents. It wasn't like, you know, I was left alone and that kind you know, they didn't go off on vacation and just leave us in the house. But we went and did things that they had no idea that we were doing. And we would build these forts in the backyard with nails and hammers. And we built this huge hole in our backyard and covered it with a board. And we put our little siblings in the hole. I mean, it's just like... <laughs> Right? I mean, we just did stuff and we were... And your parents didn't know. Our parents didn't know. Well, then, you know, like when they would find out sometimes because they'd be like, hey, where did Cheryl go? And we'd go, oh my gosh, we left her in the hole. So, I mean, they'd find out. So it wasn't like we were 
it wasn't like they were ignoring us or that they right. weren't recognizing there were risks. You know, there were rules of which streets you could cross and who you had to be with and that right. kind of stuff. But the length of the leash was longer. I heard you mention this on your on one of your podcasts that um, the way a lot of parents show that they care is by paying a lot of attention to um, to kids' ailments, to their concerns, mm-hmm. to anxieties mm-hmm. that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when kids do have anxieties, what, what would your advice be to parents on how to approach kids that come home and they're, you know, they express maybe a, a you know, an anxiety or a, something that they're nervous about for the first time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the two most important words, and I say this all the time, the two most important words that I have as a therapist are, of course, of course, you feel worried about that. Of course. Oh gosh, that's a, that's a new thing. Or, and we could, we could say that for any emotion, right? Of course you're sad that you got cut from the basketball team. Of course you're upset that somebody was unkind to you. Of course you're disappointed that they ran out of pizza while you were in the pizza line. And being able to talk to kids about feeling unsure and normalizing it. Instead of right away jumping in, if, it, if a child comes home and says, I'm really nervous about this, well, then we better go in and we better create certainty. We have to make sure. And this is, this has really become rampant in the way that we're dealing with kids' anxiety or their nervousness is that really focusing on how do we make sure that they feel okay all the time? How do we make sure that they know exactly what's going to happen? So when a child comes home and is upset about something or worried about something or they're doing something new, the best thing we can do as a parent is to say, well, of course you feel nervous about that. Is there any problem solving we need to do here? Or to even say, well, how did you handle it? How did you handle that? Gosh, that sounds tough. What did you do? And really modeling over and over for kids that you're not supposed to know exactly what's going to happen. That's why my one of my very favorite homework assignments that I give to families is at dinner at night, sitting around the table, what was the unexpected thing that happened to you and how did you manage it? So that we're there and, and parents give examples too. You know, you make it age appropriate, of course, but parents give examples of things happen and then how did you manage it? And a lot of the therapy that I do with anxious kids when they come in is they know that when they come in, I'm going to say, I want, I count, tell me your successes. And if success doesn't mean that you avoided anxiety. It means that you stepped into something. And what unexpected thing happened to you? Tell me about some, something that was felt really, really scary or tell me about something that you felt really nervous about. And how did you get through it? So I'm, I'm giving, giving the message all the time. That it's, you're supposed to feel uncertain. I love this because one, you're actually making things that are the idea that something is unexpected, actually expected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Expect the unexpected. I mean, that's, that's rule number one is expect worry to show up. Why? Because life is uncertain. Right. And when we, when we get in there and we say, all right, let's make sure that my child never feels uncertain. You know, parents say that to me, like, it's really important that she knows exactly what's going to happen. And I go, well, you know, that's kind of the opposite of what we want to do. And that can be hard for parents because they, they want to keep their kids safe. Right. It feels intuitive. It feels, it feels like that that's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And I love that you say the, the words about, of course, because I think when you, we all know that when we do have concerns and we do have problems, 
it feels nice to have our feelings validated. Right. You know, if I tell my husband about a problem I'm having, if he says to me, no, you don't really feel like that, or (laughs) you shouldn't worry about that, it doesn't feel very good. Right, right. Yeah. If we say, and and this is another, another tip too for parents is to stay out of the why questions and focus on the how questions, because say, uh, you know, just in that validating way, say a child comes home and says, I, I feel really nervous about giving my talk in class. And we say, well, why would you be nervous? Your teacher is so nice. Right. Right. And so we say, well, how, how can we handle your nervousness? You know, why are you upset about that? Why are you crying? Why are you making such a big deal about that? All of that is just so dismissive, isn't it? Very. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it does. It really resonates. Uh, your, your advice really resonates with me. If you could say to the, it sounds so much better to say to your child, of course, you, you'd be nervous about speaking in front of your class. It's very hard to speak in front of your class. Yeah. I get nervous speaking in front of people. Yeah. And so how can, how can we help? Right. right. How, are, how, how can I help you with that? Or how do you think how, to say, to, to get them curious, how do people learn how to speak in front of other people? You know, gosh, there are some people who love to speak in front of other people and some people who, oh my gosh, they would rather quit school. How do you think somebody learns how to do that? And you get them curious and you talk about it as a skill that you have to build rather than something that you have to avoid. Yes. Right? And, and that's I, a big difference. I also, um, you've mentioned this before on your podcast about this idea that parents want to protect their children from all ill happening. Um, I love your example about the teachers. I was thinking about this yesterday because um, I was talking to a friend where her child's having trouble with her with her teacher and experience. And I love that you acknowledge that things, you know, experiences don't have to be perfect for kids, that we can learn mm-hmm. from those experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, and, and, and if we're talking about, you know, we hear the words resilience a lot. We hear the words grit. We hear all this you know, language of sort of toughening kids up. To me, it's not really about toughening them up. It's about recognizing that things are going to be bumpy sometimes. Right. And the way, the way you know that you can handle something is that somebody lets you handle it. Right. The way, the way you know that you'll get over a broken heart is that you get your heart broken and then your heart heals. Right. The way you get over disappointment is that something doesn't go the way you want it to go. The way you get over embarrassment is that you do something embarrassing and then it feels horrible. And then in a year you can laugh about it. I mean, I have so many stories that I talk to kids about, like just the humiliating things that have happened to me. And now I can laugh about that. At the time it felt terrible. And it's just really normalizing and making room for all of the ups and downs letting them get to the other side. They've got to be allowed to get to the other side. That's so nice that you can give stories on your, you know, of your own life. I think that really does help kids. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty, um, as a therapist, you know, I think a lot of people don't want to go to therapy or resist because they think that you're going to be all serious and sort of say, say annoying things like, so how does that make you feel? Or, Or say more, right? I mean, so annoying. And I think kids learn pretty quickly. Adults too. I see a fair amount of adults too. That it's just me and that I'm I'm a human being and right. I tell stories and you know, we laugh and it's it's really being able to sort of connect with people 
that we're all having these experiences and it really is okay. Yeah. Normalizing feelings. That's right. Yeah. Just making lots of room for them. And, and, um, you know, the, the other thing you said too, which I think is so, so important is that a lot of times parents feel like they're supposed to worry. They're supposed to make sure nothing happens because they're, they're afraid they're going to emotionally damage their kids. And I also think there's a lot of pressure between parents that, you know, say you were the mom that said like, no, you guys can go and do what you want. Like other moms are going to be like, oh my gosh, like Jessica, <laughs> Jessica is so negligent. She just right. lets her, did you see her letting her children outside? Yeah. I'm sure it's been I was, said before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I was laughing with my husband the other day because there was this funny little video of this little boy walking through a puddle and, um. We were laughing because there was there was a park near my house. They've since paid the paved the parking lot, um, but it used to just be dirt. So in the spring, it was just these, you know, disgusting puddles, which of course have disgusting things in them. And I have two boys; they're two years apart. They were probably like two and four, and they are in the puddles. And I know there's gross stuff in the puddles. And this woman says to me, she she looks. I mean, they're they're just covered. And she looks at me and she says, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe that you let your boys go to those puddles." And I turned to her and I said, "Oh, my kids are washable. Are yours? My kids are washable." That I took all their clothes off and I put them naked in the car seat and we went home and I like soaked them for a while, right? But it's just this idea that that other parents will be like, oh my gosh, she's so negligent. I can't believe she's letting her children do that. Yeah, we have to get over that. If, if uh, We could definitely have been mom friends. You're right up, oh, right up my alley. Oh, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let them play, let them play. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I, I think about picking my battles with my kids. If, if we mm -hmm. worry about everything, that's just a mm -hmm. tough way to live. Yeah, yeah. Well, and even when we think about, you know, one of the, one of the ways that anxiety is so powerful is our rigidity, our yes. perfectionism, and things have to go a certain way, right? Because that's what anxiety says. In all of its forms, anxiety says things have to go a certain way. And so as a parent, what I hope people learn as a parent is you do have to pick your battles, right? I mean, my mom used to say, like, that's why bedrooms have doors, right? So that I can close it and not see what's going on on the other side. And it's a matter of being able to say to kids, this is your mess. You have to deal with it. You have to get yourself up for school. I mean, all of those skills of saying, well, if you don't get up for school, you might be late. Or if you don't hand that that homework in, it's going to be between you and your teacher. All of that autonomy and all of that flexibility as parents is the opposite of the, you know, the perfectionism that says it has to go a certain way. Right. Yeah. So do it's you hard. Think it is really hard. I, I, it is really hard because I think when kids are first born, we, you know, they are fully dependent on us and they're supposed to be totally dependent on us. And I mm -hmm. think knowing when to back away, I think that's tricky for a lot of us. It is. And, and you, you, it, it feels good as a parent, isn't it? To be the one that provides all of that care and all that safety and all that protection, it feels good. And then they get to a certain age and now suddenly the rules are going to change. Right. Right. So yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Right. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I'd like to think it could also feel good to see them being more autonomous and more independent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's, it's a paradigm shift, right? So, right. so what are you going to take pride in as a parent? 
Are you going to take pride in the fact that your children are perfectly dressed and they never get dirty and they never have bumps on their head and everything goes as planned and you you have them in all the activities? You know, are you going to take pride in the fact that you run your house so smoothly? At what price, by the way? Or are you going to take pride in the fact that your five-year-old gets up for their first day in kindergarten and picks out picks out an outfit and comes down the stairs and you're like, look at you, right? right, right. What are you gonna what are you gonna take pride in? The the ability to let our kids have some distance from us, some loving distance from us, that's the opposite of what anxiety wants. Right. Anxiety wants to make sure. And when we let our kids have this distance, when we let them screw up, when we let them figure out who they are, and again, it's not all or nothing. It's not like you're saying to your five-year-old, you know what, if you want to take the car, take the car. But you're you're giving them this room, right? You're lengthening the leash. You're not letting go of the leash completely. You're lengthening the leash. Yeah. I think that's very well said. Um, and I, I think a lot of parents, they'll talk to me because they themselves recognize that they are anxious and they don't mm -hmm. want to put it on their kids. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. have any general advice for parents in that situation where they, they, they know that they're anxious? Um, mm -hmm. and yeah. They, and, yeah. And so, so knowing that is a really great first step because a lot yes. of parents don't really recognize it. So it's wonderful if a parent says to you, you know, I'm anxious and I want to make sure that I don't. There's a few important things to pay attention to. One is parental control, just like we were talking about, is a big risk factor. And one of the reasons that parents control is something that the research calls parental experiential avoidance, which means that you have a really difficult time with your distress and seeing your child in distress. Mm. So if you are a parent and you know that you're anxious, you really have to work on tolerating distress, being okay with the fact that your child is going to be uncomfortable, that they're going to be upset, that they're going to be angry at you, and tolerating that. That's a really great thing to think about. And the other thing is expressing your fears in front of your children, that safety chatter that I was talking about. So anxious parents tend to have a running commentary of what catastrophic thing might be coming next. So... If you're, if you're with an anxious parent, you will hear a constant stream of, okay, be careful. Oh, watch out. Oh, wait. Oh, no. Come over. Oh, wait. Oh, mm, uh, 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 oh, you're going to, uh, and that safety chatter. So we know that that constant, that constant stream of the world is a dangerous place is also a really big risk factor for mm -hmm. developing anxiety. Yeah. So if, if parents paid attention to those two things, they would be way ahead of the game. I yeah. also really like how you talk about discussing feelings that mm -hmm. that kids should be you know getting that skill of talking about your ch their your child's feelings with your children yeah emotional literacy i mean when they when we look at there are things that predict better mental health outcomes for kids and the ability to talk about what's going on inside of you and and articulate that is one of those things yeah yes. and little little kids need help with that Right? right. So, so they need help and they need language. Oh, it looks like you're feeling this. And it doesn't mean that then their feelings run the family. It doesn't mean that the feelings are in charge of the family bus, but it does mean that they begin to, they begin to identify what's going on inside of them. That also helps a lot with when we look at anxiety, when we look at somatic symptoms, 
Mm-hmm. So kids that are really talking about tummy aches or headaches or what we call vague somatic symptoms, kids that are able to talk about and make the connection between their mind and their body, how their feelings make their body feel, do much better also. Right. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with that. I When I see younger kids that have chronic stomach aches or chronic headaches, mm-hmm. one of the first things we have to think about is, is their stress being put in their mm-hmm. tummies or their heads? Very right. common. Right. Very common. And the younger they are, there are two things that increase the likelihood that a kid is going to be somatic in their presentation. And one is the age. So the younger they are, because they don't have the language, and then whether or not a parent is anxious and also somatic. Mm. Right. So, and, and, you know, lots of times I'll hear people say, I've heard a lot of, I've, I've heard a lot of experts and I, I know them, um, that will say like, Parents are not responsible for their child's anxiety, or we don't want to blame parents for their child's anxiety. And of course, it's not about blame, but it's silly to me to think that as social creatures, you've got this, you've got this little child who does all of these things because that's the way your family does them, right? Like you have, they speak the language you speak and they hold their fork because you showed them and what you do for holidays and what your family rituals are. Why do you think that when it comes to anxiety, suddenly the rules are going to be different? It's really okay to just say as social creatures, we pass these things down. And so being able to say to parents, you make a difference. I don't want to say to parents, oh, you have nothing to do with it. That to me is a rather powerless place for parents to be. Definitely. I want them just like the the parents that 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 you that you meet with that say I'm anxious and I want to I want to prevent prevention let's talk about prevention let's think about what you're going to do differently let's think about how you were parented and how you want to interrupt those patterns right it's just very powerful and to talk Absolutely. about the fact that 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 patterns are generational Right. Absolutely. So if you, if you if you think about substance abuse if you think about how that's passed down in families and how it's really important to talk about that in a very open and direct way. Yes. Well, I also like how between generations, I think if you do talk about things, that's that's the path towards improvement. That's right. I think about my my dad's dad did not like feelings. My dad was not allowed to cry. Mm. Crying was not okay. Mm-hmm. Feelings were not okay. Mm-hmm. And then I can see how I was raised differently. And even with my own kids, I would say we're much more open, but it makes a big difference when you can talk about feelings. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please make sure and stay tuned next week. You'll hear the second half of my conversation with Lynn Lyons. Also, if you enjoyed Lynn's advice and you want to hear more, I definitely recommend checking out her podcast, Fluster Clucks. You can also pre-order her book, The Anxiety Audit. Thank you so much.